Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. Welcome to the first episode of Some Other Sphere for 2022. My guest is author Travis Watson, who joined me to talk about his recent book, Phantom Black Dogs, Walkers of the Liminal Way. Travis writes both fiction and non-fiction under the name W.T. Watson, and has long been fascinated by the paranormal. In the interview, we talk about what first interested him in the subject of Phantom Black Dogs, what he feels can be considered to be such a creature, the key aspects of the encounters with these entities, and the cultural and folkloric history of the phenomenon, which stretches from ancient Egypt to Skinwalker Ranch. It was a really fun chat. Enjoy! Travis, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rick. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to, to come on and talk with you about Phantom Black Dogs. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I've been wanting to do an episode on the subject for a while, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So what was it that drew you to write a book on the subject? Well, actually, uh, as I mentioned in my biography, I'm a, a writer of both fiction and nonfiction. Um, and I was starting to work on a, an urban fantasy novel a while back. Um, and I wanted a hero that was different. Um, you know, everybody was writing about magicians and werewolves and vampires and fairies and all that sort of thing. I wanted to uh, bring in a, a little bit different take on, on that genre. So I was looking for a character that I could uh, to bring to life um, and, and work with. And I was looking back through, I'm kind of a lore geek. I love to read old stories about, you know, monsters and mayhem. And um, I was reading through some uh, material on Phantom Black Dogs, and I came across a story in Ethel Rudkin's um, article that uh, talked about a black dog that actually could shapeshift into the form of human and back. And I had my hero for my, uh, for my novel. Um, the, the hero of that novel is actually a black dog, and, and he gets into various misadventures uh, throughout the course of the book. Um, but as I was doing the research for the book, because I wanted to have uh, a real you know, positive spin on, on the legend and the lore and, and you know, be able to talk about that a little bit, um, as I was doing the research for Hunting Beast, I, I was thinking to myself, man, this would make a really good book. <laughs> um, and so uh, when uh, Beyond the Fray published Hunting the Beast, um, Shannon LeGros uh, was speaking with me later and said, you know, I don't think anybody is, has written a book about phantom black dogs. Um, you know, would you be interested in taking that project on? And I said, well, there have been people who've written books about phantom black dogs, but yes, I would love to take this project on because, you know, I would like to see uh, something with, uh, see a book with a little bit more focus into uh, other areas of the world. Um, so that's how phantom black dogs walkers of the liminal way was born. Right. Yeah. I know Early on in your book, you, you talk about what a phantom black dog is and and sort of the importance of defining that before you try and carry on your, the, the book that you wrote. How did you know where to start from when it comes to sort of defining what a phantom black dog is? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, when you're talking about phantom black dogs, you get into uh, dog lore in general. Um, and so, like I said, one of my hobbies is, is, is reading stories about the things that go bump in the night. Um, and, you know, I was looking at the work of, of Ethel Rudkin and some of the other uh, folklorists who uh, have written extensively on this subject. And it became very apparent to me um, early on that the black dog was a very specific type of apparition. Um, it could be confused with other uh, types of supernatural creatures. Um, for instance, the, um, uh, the puka, 
which is a, a fairy being that will sometimes appear as a phantom or appear as a black dog. Um, in the Middle Eastern countries, uh, you could have a, a djinn uh, confused for a black dog because they will take that form as well. Um, but when we were talking about phantom black dogs, we are talking about a very specific apparition that appears as a large canid, typically a large canid. There are a couple of stories where they're, they're smaller. Uh, appears as a large canid. Um, it's often seen uh, near road, most often seen near roads and uh, pathways of human travel. Um, it's sometimes described as having glowing eyes, um, either red or silver or other colors. There's been a green or yellow or two. Um, one of the, the trademarks that a lot of people point out is that this dog has, a, um, has eyes the size of saucers. Um, so there's a very distinct look to this uh, creature. Um, the phantom black dog doesn't often interact with its physical environment. Um, it is able to at times, um, particularly when we're talking about the stories of, of, of guardian uh, phantom black dogs, um, so, but it doesn't typically interact with its physical environment and doesn't typically interact with the person uh, that's seeing it. Um, people who encounter phantom black dogs are aware that the black dog is aware of them, but the dog doesn't approach them. It doesn't, uh, doesn't interact with them in, in any more way than maybe growling at them. Um, so all of these things add up to a pretty... Um, pretty telling portrait of a very specific apparition that has uh, very, uh, a very specific um, way of appearing to people. Um, and so I talk about in, in the book uh, some of the, the, like I said, some of the things that could be confused for black dogs. Um, but when you start to talk about these guys, uh, you know, the other thing that is often noted with phantom black dogs is their association with death. Um, and I'm sure that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later on. But, uh, you know, so you get a portrait of a very specific apparition um, that may be confused with other supernatural beings, but is not those things. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so when you were doing your research, was there sort of a point in history at which you wanted to start from because i can imagine with with something like this you can you could just end up going back and back and back and <laughs> end up in you know ancient greece or ancient egypt and places like that <laughs> oh oh yes yeah well i i absolutely do uh, include a chapter in the book about um not so much phantom black dogs per se, but more about the dog in, in myth and legend. And of course I had to keep that short because um, you could write a whole book about that. Um, but you know, the, the history of, of, of dogs in, in mythology goes way, way back to, you know, or black dogs even in mythology goes way, way back to, to beings like Anubis and the Egyptian um, pantheon, um, you know, who was the, guardian of the Juat, the underworld in, in Egyptian mythology. Um, you know, the Norse had their Garm, who was the, uh, the guardian at the gates of uh, the, the Norse underworld, which was called Hell, H-E-L. Um, you know, you had, as I said, you had the Norse, you had the Egyptians, you had the Greeks who had Kerberos, uh, who's described as dusky, but is always uh, depicted on pottery and so forth as being coal black. So we have dogs way, way, way back into antiquity. Um, the more modern period of phantom black dog stories starts with um, uh, the, uh, the encounter in Bungay. Um, and, you know, it's been a while since I've done an interview and I don't remember the exact date for that, but um, it's in the 1600s, if I recall, 15 or 1600s. Um, it is the story that people refer back to when they start talking about phantom black dogs all the time. Uh, briefly, there was a, a, a violent thunderstorm in the area of Bungay. Um, the people of the parish uh, gathered together to, to pray, as it were, 
Um, and uh, allegedly this large black dog appeared in their midst. Uh, some people were killed. Uh, some people were crippled by this thing before it made its way out through the door and left burn marks on the door. Um, I have some issues with this story because, uh, first of all, there's a, there's a discrepancy about where the vicar of this particular church was. <laughs> uh, there's there in the in in the story in the uh, the track that this is all based on. This fellow is is for some reason during this violent storm uh, up a ladder cleaning out the gutters in the church um, while his congregants are meeting in 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 the church. Um, He's also allegedly hit by lightning and survives this. So um, uh, there's some some real problems with the story, uh, especially when you take into consideration that the uh, uh, the track is obviously written from a very religious point of view, and uh, you know ends with a prayer for repentance. Uh, so one gets the impression that maybe this writer was trying to scare people into. Uh, you know, going back to church. Um, regardless, uh, it is still one of the classics of, of black dog literature and, and is referred to frequently when people are trying to create the, the, the airy, scary black dog that, you know, will, will boost their television ratings or whatever. Um, in my research, I found that while black dogs could be scary, um, they also have uh, very definitely a, um, a guardian component. I'm sure we can talk about that in a bit. But, uh, you know, once you have the Bungay story, uh, you know, you begin to have, again, as I said, 1500s, 1600s, uh, then you begin to have sightings. Um, and then you had the folklorists of the early 1900s who were collecting stories in the 1800s. Um, there's a surfeit of those. The, there's lots of folkloric evidence from the 1800s, early 1900s. And then, uh, as I said, um, the uh, the stories go into the modern day, into the present time. I had a uh, individual contact me after the book came out and had a uh, quite recent black dog sighting um, in uh, uh, North Carolina, I believe. Um, I don't remember right off the top of my head, but, um, you know, so this apparition, this being is still being seen to this day. So it's not just a historical event. Oh, okay. So um, when you were doing your research, it wasn't the case that Black Shook dominated the reports that you were reading about. Well, it's certainly the case that Black Shook is a very popular <laughs> subject of folklore in, in, in the era of Norfolk. Uh, but no, um, as I said, uh, I was interested. Uh, I, like most people who start to get interested in the phantom black dog phenomena, uh, first encountered the black dog in, um, uh, in the United Kingdom, of course, um, particularly in, in uh, England. Um, you know, not so much in Scotland, uh, which is interesting because the Scots have their own um, thing called the Cushy, which is a fairy dog, which is a different color. And, a, 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 you know, it's, it's white uh, with red ears frequently, or it can be green. Um, that seems to, to predominate in, in their particular area. Um, but uh, so most of the stories that I first encountered were in the UK, but I got interested in whether or not there were stories from uh, other places in the world. And sure enough, as I started to dig into this, I found that there are quite a number of stories of phantom black dogs in the United States. Um, there are stories of the black dogs in Canada. Um, and there is a, a rich tradition of uh, black dog stories in the area south of the U.S. border in the Central and South America. Um, so, uh, you know, yes, Black Shook is is probably the uh, most well known of the phantom black dog apparitions. Again, because he tends to scare the crud out of people, <laughs> um, and people love to be frightened. Um, we we know that, um, but the uh, black dog has a, a, a much wider uh, span uh, than just uh, just that area and, and just that particular apparition. 
Mm. It, it sounds pretty convenient that that vicar was on the roof just at the moment that Black Shook turned up. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe he was Black Shook if he can shapeshift. <laughs> ah, hey, maybe. You never know. Um, the, uh, the Rudkin story that I was referring to um, actually talks about uh, this, this fellow who was, uh, let's see, I think she said he was supposed to be Italian. Um, who befriends this boy and uh, tries to persuade him to come on a sailing voyage with him. And the kid's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing that. I, I got to stay here with my family. He says, well, in that case, would you take care of my dog? Um, and, you know, at some point, this large black dog appears and, uh, and begins to hang out with this, with this boy. Um, as I recall, they, they end up going swimming together and the, the black dog tries to drown him and uh, then turns into this uh, Italian person again. Um, so the, the shape shift back and forth from a human to, uh, to a black dog and then back to a human was kind of what got me started on, on the novel thing. Um, it wasn't a particularly happy story from this young man's point of view. He did get rescued by a sailing vessel, but uh, uh and, and the black dog slash person disappears. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it was, it was an iffy thing for him. Definitely sounds it. That's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I know in, in the book, you, you mentioned a, a writer called Theo Brown, who categorized um, black dogs. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are those categories? And did, did you find them useful when you were doing your own research? Yeah, this is the uh, this is the uh, categorization I was talking about earlier, where you know you're talking about a it's it's a, a phantom black dog. She starts off very very simply is is a dog. <laughs> okay, it's not some other kind of apparition. So uh, it's a dog. It's black. It's got the the eyes, uh, so forth. So she she you know uh, actually um, worked extensively from Rudkin's work and then expanded on it. Um, and actually created a map of black dog sightings uh, in in the area, some of which were Rudkin's Lincolnshire sightings, and then others of which she uh, the reports that she gathered herself, um, which makes for fascinating reading if you're interested in black dogs. Um, but it's the the kind of categorization categorization that I was talking about earlier, where where we could actually. Um, uh, take the, uh, the black dog and put it into a very specific uh, apparition that is not to be confused with some other kinds of apparitions that people are seeing. So uh, that's, that's what I meant by what we meant by categorizations. Um, I, I cover that in, I think, the first or second chapter of the book where we're talking about a dog, we're talking about a, a dark colored dog, black, usually black. Sometimes people will say dark brown, but uh, black dog sightings very frequently happen at dusk or, or uh, in the night. So the color is kind of difficult to discern. You know, you get the eyes, you get the, the size of the eyes. Um, the, the dog is often described as being, in the old days, was described as being the size of a calf. People now will compare it to things like Mastiffs or Newfoundlands, um, which are both enormous breeds if you're uh, familiar with those dogs. Um you know, and then uh, Brown starts to break things down and talk about uh, uh, about the locations where black dogs are are, are seen most frequently. Um, almost all black dog sightings uh, have uh, a road involved, some path of travel, whether it's a, a you know road. I'm not sure what you call them in the UK, but uh, we call them freeways or highways here. Uh, motorways, I think you call them motorways. Um, uh, you know, whether it's that or it's a footpath through, a, a, you know, through a mountain area. It's almost always a, a path of human travel involved. Um, there are some writers that believe that black dogs are seen near water frequently. Um, the Janet and Colin board will argue with you about that. Um, they make the, uh, uh, the notation that, if, you know, if you're in the UK, you're probably within five miles of water, no matter where you are, unless there's a drought in effect. Um, there's, uh, there's also the, the strong link between, uh, phantom black togs and, uh, places of, of human burial, cemeteries, churches, uh, those kinds of things. 
Um, those are the, the, the major kinds of things that pop up in a lot of the black dog lore. Yeah, yeah, I, I found that really interesting, um, especially the, the concept of the church grim. That, 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 was, that mm-hmm. was really interesting. Yeah, um, and the church grim doesn't just appear in the UK. Uh, there's a very, uh, I start the book off with a, a, a really interesting story uh, from uh, the interestingly named area Valle Crucis, uh, North Carolina, which means Valley of the Cross. Um, they, uh, nobody's quite sure why the place is named that. The, the most popular theory is that it has to do with two creeks that intersect in that area, uh, in almost a perfect cross. But, um, there is a, an Episcopal church, um, at a highway intersection there that's had, uh, at least two, um, very frightening uh, black dog encounters where uh, a motorist has uh, been driving past the church and uh, they've suddenly encountered this massive creature in the road. Um, The one lady described the thing, uh, said that at first they thought they were looking at a bear. Um, It was so big until uh, it turned and looked at them and it had the classic uh, glowing, huge glowing red eyes. Um, Unlike a lot of black dogs, this particular one gives chase. Um, and so these people, of course, put their foot on the accelerator and, and, and started to go very quickly away from this creature. Um, it chased them uh, up to uh, a creek crossing. Um, and they uh, went across the, the creek and the, the dog gave up the chase at that point. Um, this is a very typical thing to happen in black dog sightings. They seem to have a territory and they uh, don't seem to want to go beyond that territory. Um, it may be quite an expanse of, of territory, but uh, once they get to the edge of wherever it is that they consider theirs, uh, they will turn back or disappear. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, the, so the church grim appears not only in, in, uh, uh, English folklore, but also in, in American folklore as well, or American stories. Mm, I mean, is there any connection that you know of between that, that location in America and, and the UK, uh, the population that they come from that part of the world originally? Well, well, both, uh, well, I don't know. Um, you know, I know that, uh, North Carolina, uh, is, is definitely settled by people who are, in some cases settled by people, particularly in the Appalachian areas where, uh, you know, the Scottish people, uh, people from the UK and so forth. So there's possibly a link there. More importantly, I think though, is that, uh, you know, in the case of the church grim and, uh, and, and the, the black dog of Iacrucis, both of those beings are, are associated with the church yard, which is a cemetery. Um, so, uh, there's, as I said, a strong, strong tradition of go- dogs as guardians of the dead, um, or, uh, actually, um, you know, in South America or not or Central America, excuse me. Um, there is a belief amongst the Maya that one cannot pass into the other world into the, uh, when one dies, unless one is accompanied by a dog. Um, so, you know, dogs have been associated with death for a long time. And I think that the church grim is a primary example of that because, you know, where, where are people very frequently buried? They're buried in churches, churchyards, cemeteries, uh, that are dedicated to, uh, uh, you know, saints and so forth, uh, those kinds of things. So, um, I think that, that's more of a connection than maybe the uh, the the actual people that live in the area. Although, um, one has to wonder if the the folks who immigrated over to the states didn't um, didn't bring some of their their critters with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it is interesting, though, isn't it? It's, it it feels like it might almost be a coincidence that these entities look like dogs they there are at times it does feel as though they're some sort of entity that just bears a resemblance to a dog rather than having that sort of direct connection to the dogs that we know of yeah you know i mean 
When you start to talk about a being that can appear and disappear at will, um, you know, and that sort of thing, then you have to think to yourself, well, gosh, if it can do that, then what else can it do? Um, you know, there have been, uh, there are some stories in the book about uh, alleged phantom black dogs that people couldn't see. Um, and, you know, to me, this sounds like a poltergeist phenomena, right? Uh, you know, somebody has a feeling of a dog putting its, its, uh, its paws on your chest. Uh, that could just as easily be a part of the poltergeist phenomena, but it got blamed on the black dog because the black dog was common in that area. It's, uh, you know, the stories come from places like Lincolnshire, Norfolk, and, and so forth. Um, you know, it, it's, um, you know, you, you have to wonder when you uh, are talking about an apparitional being like this, why it assumes the particular form that it assumes. Um, is it because human beings have uh, throughout time from Anubis on forward associated dogs with the dead and therefore this particular being says, oh, well, that would be a good form for me to assume? Um, is it because, you know, perhaps because uh, this, this being has had interaction with dogs and decided this was an excellent form to assume? Is it because, uh, you know, this is just the way this creature looks and it happens to look like a dog. Uh, we don't know. Uh, this is one of the fun things about doing research in these uh, folkloric topics is, you know, you, you look at these stories, these strange stories and these reports from people and, and you don't know. There's always that mystery. And in order to, to have fun being a researcher in these uh, topics, you have to be comfortable with mystery. <laughs> That's just all there is to it. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. I mean, did you find that in the witness reports there was a, a commonality there in, in the effect that it had on them? Did it change their lives uh, after this sort of encounter? Uh, I can say that it, 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 it does. You know, I, I mean, I think that anybody who has a paranormal encounter uh, that's really a strong paranormal encounter has some some... Uh, effect on their lives. Um, the black dog seems to have uh, two very strong effects um, in its association with human beings. The first is the one it's famous for. Um, I did in, in the book, I do a little informal survey of a database that uh, of, of sightings and so forth. And in my, my research, and this is very informal, you know, I don't claim that it's statistically, you know, the, a fact, but um, in, in, my, uh, in my little informal survey, I discovered that something like 20% of people who see black dogs either have a death in the family or, uh, or actually pass on themselves within, say, a year of, of the sighting. Um, and, and this is part of the reason why the Phantom Black Dog has such a fearsome reputation, because people have come to associate it with death. Um, and, you know, it is unfortunately the case that some people will see a Phantom Black Dog and will pass on or will have uh, people in their um, uh, immediate family pass on, good friends, or uh, sometimes... Uh, there's one case where a young man felt that uh, a black dog had charged him and then jumped right over the top of him. Um, and then uh, within a year, this young fellow had a, uh, a very, uh, was very critically injured in a motorcycle accident. And, you know, his joke was, ah, oh, well, you know, the phantom black dog tried to get me, but it failed. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it failed. It may have just been trying to, to warn him to lead a bit, little bit more careful life. You never know. <laughs> um, so that's the first big effect that it seems to have in people's lives. The other thing is almost a polar opposite. Um, there are dozens of stories of phantom black dogs actually acting in the role of uh, almost a guardian spirit. Um, the typical story, you know, 1800s, young lady walking from one village to another village has to pass through a, a dark forest area. Um, and uh, there are ruffians, you know, sometimes described as Irish laborers or, or whatever, um, 
or, or robbers. Um, so there are ruffians along the way, and the young lady is fearful for, uh, for her uh, well-being. And suddenly this large black dog appears um, and walks with this person until they are past the danger point. Uh, often we'll walk them out of the forest. And uh, they may not even realize that they're having a supernatural event happen until the dog looks at them and disappears. Um, these, this kind of story happens over and over in the lore, um, so much so that you really can't ignore it. Um, the, the dog often acts as a, a guardian in one way or the other. There's a, an excellent story of, of a young man who was um, in Norfolk, He's in Black Shuck territory, um, who uh, had been playing darts uh, at the local pub and uh, was on his way home riding bicycle. Um, he comes to an intersection and he sees a large black dog sitting at the intersection. And, uh, you know, if you've ever ridden a bicycle, you've probably been chased by dogs. So he's very <laughs> leery of this animal. Um, he rides by it. Um, and he realizes as he's listening that this dog is beginning to follow him. He can hear the tick, tick, tick of its claws on, on the pavement behind him. Um, he stops, he turns and he puts the bicycle between him and the dog, right? And uh, the dog just stands there. Uh, it's large, it's looking at him. It has the, if, if I recall correctly for this story, it has the, the glowing eyes. I don't think they were red. I think they might've been white or something. Um, but he's, he's standing there looking at the dog, the dog standing there looking at him and making no move to, to threaten him or anything, but he feels threatened just because of the size of this creature. About that time, there's a spinny down the road of, of you know, trees and bushes and so forth. And, uh, a car starts up and comes barreling out of this, uh, out of this, uh, this little grove of trees and up onto the road and, and, and swerves and, and, and goes driving off into the distance. And this young man realizes that if this dog had not stopped him, you know, had not prevented him from, from going forward, he would have been right in front of the road that this person came out of and probably would have been hit, perhaps killed, but, you know, likely very seriously injured. So, you know, the dog acting as a guardian. And you see this behavior a lot of times where the dog will appear and will forbid somebody from going someplace. Um, you know, in, in the UK, it often happens that somebody wants to make a detour through a hedge and a black dog will appear and say, eh, we're not doing that. And we don't know why they're doing that. We have no idea why this, the, this uh, apparition is, is uh, engaging in this behavior, but they do it all the time. In the United States, uh, there's a story from the South Mountain area of, uh, of Maryland. Uh, again, gentleman goes to the local store, you know, the, the general store down the, down the road, and he's bringing his purchases back home. And uh, a phantom black dog appears in front of him. The, I love the name of the dog in this particular uh, region. They call it the Snarly Yow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's such a great name. I love that name. Um, so Snarly Yao appears in front of this fellow and, and, you know, he's just not having it. You know, these are tough pioneer, uh, you know, people and they're just not going to be cowed by some big dog, right? So he puts his packages down and he proceeds to try and, and uh, uh, wail away at, at, uh, at this Snarly Yao. And really all he succeeds in doing is making himself tired because, of course, he can't make contact with this apparition but it keeps getting bigger and bigger the more he swings at it. Uh, eventually he gives up and uh, stands there until the thing walks off the road and disappears. Um, and he goes home uh, about his merry way with a really classic story to tell. Um, but again, why is the dog obstructing the road? You know, was there something down the road that could have harmed this person? We don't know. Um, but we see this behavior frequently enough to, uh, to warrant asking the question, you know, why was the phantom black dog standing in the road? <laughs> it sounds like kind of a joke, but it's not. 
No, I I um I remember reading that encounter and it's very interesting. I mean, with things like that, you feel I mean, I feel as though the, almost the purpose is that it has great meaning for the person who experiences it. That's the main value that it has. Um I'm not sure I'm not sure how, if you agree with that, but it feels like it's a moment of meaning for the person, uh, this experience. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. I, as I said, uh, one of the hallmarks of a black dog experience is that you know that the dog knows that you're there. And a lot of witnesses seem to have a feeling that, that the dog has chosen them for some reason. Um, and, and that is, is another of the effects that we could say the dog has on them. It, it leaves people wondering. Again, it's that sense of mystery that I was talking about earlier. You know, it's a mystery. Why, why amongst all the people on the planet did this thing decide to appear to me? Um, and that's going to have a profound effect on most thinking people. Absolutely. Um, in, in your research, did you find that there were any other associated paranormal phenomenon that accompanied black dogs? Uh, you do occasionally. Um, Janet and Colin Board uh, actually document a couple of cases where phantom black dogs were seen in association with uh, UFOs. Um, I'm... And, and when you read the book, uh, you'll you'll see I, I'm very iffy about those stories um, because there is no direct correlation between the uh, uh, the dog appearing and the UFO. Um, in one case, uh, it's not even a black dog; it's actually a white dog. Um, this woman uh, is a UFO experiencer, um, which I consider to be a very uh, legitimate thing. My father was a witness. Um, you know, he saw a, a UFO in San Bernardino, California back in the 1950s. Um, and it, it had a profound effect on him. Um, he talked about it all of his life. Um, but she'd had an experience the year before, almost to the day. Um, and on the, the year anniversary of her experience, she went to bed and, uh, she had a, um, she was wakened in the night by something knocking on the door. Um, she went downstairs, she opened the door, and there was a monstrous white dog standing on her front porch or uh, steps. Well, you know, most people having an encounter like that would probably have the, the instantaneous reaction of, you know, slamming the door shut and running away, right? Um, <laughs> she does close the door, but she just kind of nonchalantly locks the door, goes back upstairs, tries to go back to bed, <laughs> uh, which is kind of an atypical uh, behavior. Um, not too long after, again, there's a knock on the door. Again, she goes downstairs. This time there's nothing there. Um, she goes back to bed, uh, but in, or she goes back to her bedroom. Instead of going to bed, she stands at the window and looks out so that she has a view of the door. Sure enough, something knocks on the door. She looks down, there's nothing there. Um, and the only reason that this gets tied to UFOs is that there was a, a rash of sightings that night in her area. Um, I, you know, I have trouble, uh, you know, if you've read uh, something like John Keel's Mothman Prophecies, it seems like weird things tend to happen in clumps. Um, and it seems like this is one of those clump things where you had UFOs, you had a weird white dog showing up, you had poltergeist phenomena, you had all of this stuff happening. I'm not sure we can classify this as a black dog sighting, um, you know, if, if you know, or a white dog sighting for that matter. Um, who knows what the heck that was standing on her porch. Uh, more uh, to the point for our, our phantom black dogs, uh, there was a, an incident in South Africa where two gentlemen were driving down the road. Um, they uh, saw something in the bush and they stopped because they thought maybe it was something they could uh, shoot and take home to eat. Um, and it turned out to be a very large black dog, um, which stood in the road and, and basically obstructed their pathway again. Um, about the time that the black dog bolted off into the brush, uh, they got buzzed by a UFO. 
twice. Uh, it came over them once and then uh, returned and came back uh, from the other direction. Uh, again, there's not a, uh, a direct correlation between the UFO and the black dog. Um, it's entirely possible. We know that, uh, that these, uh, these, these uh, vessels, whatever they are, uh, these UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, uh, we know that they tend to disturb animals. Um, so it's entirely possible that this could have been a real dog that, uh, you know, was disturbed by whatever vibration was in the air from this UFO and came out onto the road for, for a moment and then, and then went back. Um, it could have been a black dog. I'm not saying that it wasn't. Uh, I just, you know, I, it's not as clear cut a case as some of the ones that we have, uh, you know, in, in other parts of the text. Um, as far as other paranormal phenomena, surprisingly, no. Um, I've heard some anecdotal stories from, um, uh, from uh, since, since the publication of the book. I've heard some anecdotal stories from people who, again, live in that Appalachian area of the United States of uh, there being ghost lights in the areas that uh, some of these black dogs are seen in. Uh, but it's not... Uh, you know, it's not something that I ran across in the lore or the literature. Um, it seems like the, the Phantom Black Dog likes to have its witnesses to itself. Um, and that, that's another one of the kind of unique things about these, these apparitions. Mm, definitely. I, I love any weird encounter where the person just goes back to bed. <laughs> there seems to be quite a lot of them. <laughs> um, I guess uh, what else are you going to do in the middle of the night? if it disappears it just makes me chuckle yeah. when someone has this incredibly strange experience of high strangeness and then they're like oh, i'm just going to go back to bed i think <laughs> well you you have to wonder in those cases if the uh whatever it is that they've encountered whether it's a ufo or a sasquatch or whatever um you have to wonder if these beings don't have some kind of effect on people that that uh, actually uh, maybe a sort of a rudimentary mind control that, that says you, you know, I am not the creature you were looking for. Go back to bed. You know, <laughs> um, I've, I've wondered about that because you see this in, in all kinds of paranormal and Fortean um, circumstances where people have these completely uncharacteristic um, uh, reactions to, to whatever it is that they're seeing. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder if the, the being isn't having some kind of effect on their mind that's telling them, hey, you know, wouldn't it be a great idea if you went back to bed and went back to sleep? I see that a lot in uh, particularly in abduction cases. Are there ever encounters with black dogs which are preceded by unusual smells or, or sounds or things like that? And, and no. Um, now, I just got finished... Um, I just submitted for publication a, a book on paranormal fogs and mists, um, and uh, which is called Mysteries in the Mist. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out yet, but uh, it's in the queue for publication at this point. Um, and the, in, in talking with uh, some podcasters and some other folks, you know, you have this whole. Uh, uh, these precursors to paranormal phenomena, like the silence falling on people. Um, I think Jenny Randall's called it the Oz effect, where you know people have a sense of timelessness, they lose their the background noises, uh, you know, they have a strange feeling in their body and, and those kinds of things. Um, I found absolutely no evidence of that in, in almost any black dog encounter that I that I uh, documented in the lore. Um, for some reason, people are just walking along. It's a normal evening, da da da, and suddenly there's a dog there. <laughs> you know, it just appears, poof. Uh, it's you know like the 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 genie popping out of the bottle almost. Um, and very seldom do you see people having uh, uh, you know any kind of a precursor effect. Uh, uh, about about the only thing that I can say about it is that sometimes it seems as though. Uh, the dog creates the circumstances for being seen. 
Um, and the, the biggest uh, or the best example I can think of for that is um, there was a, a sighting in, in Palm Springs, California, of all places, um, middle of the desert, right? Um, this gentleman um, had a, a sudden urge to go out and check on his um, uh, the, the gate, the front gate to his house to make sure it was secure. And uh, it's not clear whether he just had an urge to do this or whether this was something that he did every night. But, um, you know, he goes out and he sees, and this was a rare sighting because he saw more than one black dog. There were, I think, two or three of them running down the road in front of his house. Um, and there was a uh, concomitant destruction of property in the area where somebody's car got torn up by what looked like a very large wild animal. Uh, it's one of the few uh, black dog cases where there seems to have been an actual physical environmental change. They, they very seldom leave tracks or, or anything like that behind. Uh, it is very much a spectral phenomena most of the time, unless it needs not to be, uh, which you know leads back to the Guardian stories again and, and places where uh, one particular one that leaps to mind for me is... Uh, Gentlemen, uh, if I recall, this fellow was uh, one of the first editors for the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, and he and his uh, children were out hiking in the mountains. Uh, I don't remember the region they were in, uh, but were suddenly socked in by fog. Um, and he encounters a large dog uh, in the fog, which stops him from moving forward. Um, as the fog clears, he realizes that he has his hand on a phantom black dog and that the dog has prevented him from walking over a cliff. Wow. So, you know, again, we have that, that, that guardian mode. But in most examples of interaction with the black dog, and this is another one of those categorization things, when people try to interact physically with the dog, for instance, trying to pet it or hit it or uh, shoot at it, um, it has absolutely no effect. It goes right through them. Um, there's a great story of a, a plucky uh, uh, English maid who was walking down the road and encountered a black dog, and she didn't want this thing following her home, so she takes out her very sturdy umbrella and tries to whack it. And, <laughs> of course, the umbrella goes right through the dog, and she realizes she's having a supernatural experience. Um, but then she's like, she shrugs and just keeps walking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, you, you know, it's, it's, what do you do? I mean, the thing's going to follow you no matter what you do. You can't get rid of it. You know, um, it's, it's not going to, uh, going to yield to your, your, your gun or your umbrella or your fist. So you might as well just enjoy the company and keep walking. Yeah, definitely. And they don't cast shadows either. Is that correct? Not that I've ever encountered. Yeah. Uh, again, most of the sightings happen at night. Yeah, I guess that's uh, hard or, to tell. In the but... <laughs> dusk, so you're not likely to see a lot of shadow anyway. Uh, but even on, you know, supposedly full moon nights, there's no record of anybody seeing a black dog shadow that I ran across. Mm. There was one encounter that you relate in the book where I think someone was in a carriage and they they saw a, like a, they saw a fire and then they saw a very large dog, which they thought initially was sort of, like you were saying before, like a, like a mastiff or a Newfoundland, but then it turned out to be quite, it was big, but it was gaunt and it sort of smiled at them. I found that very creepy. Yes. Yeah. That was, that's a very creepy story. Um, th that was, uh, if I recall, that was in the section on, uh, you know, the black dogs association with death, um, because this happened near uh, a gallows site. Um, and yeah, it's one of the few times that I that I actually, you know, I mentioned that uh, I had had heard some stories from the Appalachian area where black dog sightings were preceded by uh, what they call ghost lights or spirit lights or you know whatever you want to call them. Um, that's probably the only story in the book that I can think of off the top of my head where uh, there's a light phenomena, an anomalous light, um, and then a, a black dog appears. Um, cause as I said, normally they just pop into existence. It's just like one minute, there's not a dog there. And the next minute there is a dog there. Um, in that particular instance, they saw what could be qualified as a, you know, will of the wisp or, uh, 
you know, almost like a flame. Um, they saw an anomalous light and, uh, and then they encountered this black dog that was quite creepy. Uh, as you said, you know, this thing appeared to obviously, you know, knew that they were looking at it. It was looking at them and seemed to smile at them. Um, not a, a common behavior for black dogs. Uh, normally, as I said, uh, the dog gives you the impression that it knows you're there um, and that you're watching it. It's aware of you, but it doesn't really interact with you on most occasions. Um, but there's always the exception that proves the rule, right? Definitely. I mean, and if that gallows where that sighting happened was on a, on a crossroads, which I think they often were, there's a lot of crossroads lore, isn't there as well? So, oh yes, <laughs> there's a lot of lore about crossroads. I could, don't get me going on that, particularly in the American South and the whole, uh, you know, because I grew up, uh, I was born originally, and I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and and have been all over the South and have heard some interesting stories <laughs> from people about uh, about crossroads. So yeah. Um, but there is a, a lot of lore about crossroads, both in Europe and in the United States. And, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon for a gibbet to be uh, placed in that area because, you you know, I mean, basically, once you had taken this person down uh, after letting them hang there for a while as a demonstration to the public of what happens to bad people, um, you know, you would bury them in a place where they weren't likely to find their way back to haunt you. Uh, which would be a crossroads um, in, you know, many uh, folklore and magical traditions. So, um, yeah, uh, he was definitely a, an interesting uh, uh, story. Absolutely. Um, earlier on, you were talking about the chapter in your book about the black dog phenomenon um, south of the American border in, in Mexico. Um, just talk a little bit about that and what the phenomena is like down there. Ah, yes. It's, it's also, uh, um, it's not just Mexico. Um, uh, when I say south of the U.S. border, I mean all the way south, all the way to the tip of South America. But there's very common um, uh, black dog lore in um, Central American regions, uh, which is very interesting because the, uh, the original indigenous aboriginal people of that region um, had a... Uh, uh, a, a god um, called Tetzlacatlipoca, uh, who, uh, which translates to something like smoking mirror, or uh, I, there's another name for him, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, this being very interestingly uh, appeared in a form that the natives called coyotl, which is a coyote, um, but apparently it was quite a large coyote. And it engaged in behaviors that were very similar to what we see in black dogs. It would obstruct roadways and, and uh, prevent people from traveling and, and that sort of thing. Um, this being, as I said, was, a, was kind of a god of chaos, but also had a strong association with death. Um, so the aboriginal people in that Central American, er, uh, Central American region already had a strong uh, sort of demi uh, black dog sort of uh, creature before the Spanish ever entered the area. And of course, the Spaniards bought their stories of the phantom black dog with them. And uh, the two got um, syncreted together into something called the Cadejo. Um, and the Cadejo is a, a, a classic phantom black dog. Uh, you know, again, it's a giant dog, the glowing eyes, the, sometimes has chains draped on it and that sort of thing, which we see with Black Shuck in Norfolk. Um, you know, uh, it's the, the very typical black dog apparition. The interesting thing about the Cadejo is that uh, whereas in uh, uh, UK and European lore, the black dog is a black dog and, you know, some black dogs are good black dogs and do guardian things and some black dogs are not so good black dogs and they're precursors of death and so forth. The, uh, 
the, the Spanish settlers and the, the uh, Aboriginal people in, in that Central American area were talking places like uh, El Salvador and um, Nicaragua and um, uh, Guatemala, particularly. Um, they actually divided their, their dogs. So there was a black dog, which was the evil dog. And there was a white dog, which was the guardian dog. Um, there's a, you're talking about Mexico. There was a, a Mexican professor who was, uh, you know, he was getting his education so that he could uh, teach at the academic level. And he had to leave his, you know, he had to work and so forth. He had to leave his wife and, and children home alone for long periods of time. Um, but he was told not to worry about them because the white dog was protecting them. <laughs> Um, and apparently there was a white dog seen around his home on a, a fairly regular basis that was uh, basically a guardian spirit for his family that took care of his family while he wasn't there. Um, on the other side of the, the fence, the black dog in uh, Central American lore is uh, particularly likes to prey upon alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I found this really interesting because the, the thinking was that the black dog would actually protect a person who had passed out drunk in the street, but it would follow them around and wait for the, this alcoholic person to die as a result of their illness and then claim their soul. And, and I, I'm thinking to myself, this is not a very logical piece of lore because why would the black dog not just claim their soul when somebody robbed them, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not sure why it is that the that the the people of that region decided that they were going to uh, uh, to run the um, run their black dogs this way. But the black dog will uh, uh, actually um, stand over the body of a passed out drunk and protect that person from robbery and so forth. Um, but then follows that individual until their demise um, to claim their soul. Because of course, like I said, the black dog is associated with the God of death from early, early, early on from pre-Hispanic Mexico. Um, So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the way they work it. Hmm. One of the, one of my favorite uh, black dog stories though, um, I've always had a, I get a kick out of the stories where people try to shoot black dogs um, because it obviously has no effect whatsoever. But there's a a great story from Mexico where a young man, again, walking down the road, (laughs) he's walking from, he's been to a a celebration of somebody's birthday, I believe, uh, in one village and he's going home to his home village. He's walking along uh, the village road and he sees headlight com- headlights coming. Um, he gets nervous because he's, he's carrying a 38 caliber revolver with him and he's not supposed to have that. Um, so uh, he's, he fears that this might be the police or the militia. So he, he uh, gets off the road and, and hides behind a fence uh, until this vehicle passes. He gets back up. He gets back onto the road. He starts to make his way back toward his, his home village, and he encounters the Cadejo in the middle of the road. Well, you know, he's he's armed. He figures, hey, you know, I'm not going to let this big dog scare me, right? I'm going to get rid of this thing. So he pulls out his trusty revolver, and he, he shoots at the, the Cadejo. And this is an interesting matrix effect type story because what happens is that the gun fires, but the bullet stops as soon as it exits the gun and falls to the ground. Not to be deterred, this young man fires again and the same thing happens. And of course, this large black dog is standing and growling at this individual and he's scared out of his mind and he can't think what else to do because he just tried to shoot it and it didn't work. Um, so he begins praying to the Virgin Mary, which is a very classic thing to do in Hispanic cultures. Um, and the dog disappears. <laughs> so I love this story because of the matrix effect with the bullets. 
Um, you know, we have a story from Great Britain where uh, a gentleman uh, fires on a, a black dog from the second floor of, of, of his home uh, with a fouling gun, a, a, a shotgun designed for shooting at birds. And uh, basically all he succeeds in doing is ventilating his outhouse. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a number of stories where people have actually fired on black dogs. And again, it has absolutely no effect. Uh, you know, one is, is reminded of uh, the crazy stories that one hears from places like Skinwalker Ranch, where, uh, you know, Sherman's opened fire on this large wolf-like creature and again, had no effect whatsoever. So... Yeah, that I was thinking of the giant wolves scene at Skinwalker Ranch. Although I think mm-hmm. flesh did come off the wolves, and it was it smelt really bad, but it didn't. But it didn't <laughs> yes. hurt the wolf. No. Um, w- yeah, basically, they could see that uh, that the that they were hitting this animal, mm. um, and they shot it with a you know three fifty seven Magnum, which is a large, fairly large caliber handgun, and then got a deer rifle out and started shooting at it. And it just didn't seem to have much effect at all. Hmm. The interesting thing about the Skinwalker Ranch uh, story is that uh, later on, um, there actually is a black dog story in the Skinwalker Ranch book. Um, uh, the wife of the family is coming home from work one night, uh, pulls onto the property and encounters one of these giant wolf-like creatures. And in, in the background is a large black dog with glowing eyes. Um, and most people miss that. <laughs> I happened to pick it up because I was like, oh, black dogs. You know? um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, that that uh, epicenter of weirdness actually has its own uh, had its own black dog sighting, too. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I it, it, the uh, the mention of the creature goes by so quickly that you you know because there's so much weird stuff happening in this book right that you almost that you would miss it unless you were like me you know framed into the uh, to the whole phantom black dog phenomena at the time. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Going back to your point about the dog protecting the soul of the drunk or looking after the drunken, I, I definitely think that there's a a book out there waiting to be written about otherworldly bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'd read it. I think. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that's it's probably on my list of things to do at some point. I would love to write a book about the interface between uh, uh, John Michael Greer, who's a, a, a noted uh, ceremonial magi- magician and and uh, a druid practitioner, wrote a book a while back called "Monsters: A Field Guide, uh, an Investigator's Guide to Magical Beings." Um, and he wrote this from the standpoint of a Golden Dawn magician, and he has some fascinating thoughts in this book about the phenomena that we're all interested in. Um, and I'm always, uh, you know, a little puzzled why there aren't more people in the, the paranormal world who are looking in that direction, because we have centuries of lore about, uh, you know, spirits and, and beings of, of various sorts that have been interacted with by you know, people doing magical evocations and stuff like that. So uh, I've always wondered why people are so scared to, to go and look at that stuff. <laughs> um, so that's kind of on my bucket list of things to write at some point is is a, a book about monsters and magic. Absolutely. Well, I, I look forward to reading that. Uh, as I said, my, my, my next book, whenever that comes out, is uh, uh, as I was doing research for this book, um, like I said, I had that that uh, had a couple of stories where black dogs appear from the mist, basically. But uh, that one where uh, the gentleman is lost in the fog and almost goes over a cliff, and the black dog stops him, got me thinking. You know, I, said, I wonder how how much um, interface there is between uh, paranormal phenomena and you know fogs and mists and so forth. And I had no idea what a can of worms I was opening. Um, Mysteries in the mist is. Uh, you know, I focused on phantom black dogs in this book. Mysteries in the Mist covers every kind of paranormal phenomena you can think of, from Sasquatch to ghost ships and uh, UFOs to uh, mysterious disappearances. There's so much material out there. I was just astounded. Uh, once I started looking for it, it, it was everywhere. 
Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the publication of that book. I think people will really enjoy that. Cool. Yeah. Well, when that's out, you're most welcome to come back on if you'd like. <laughs> oh, great. I, I, I'd love to. Yes. Um, it's um, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure at this point it's in the queue for publication and uh, we'll, we'll see when it comes out, but I'll definitely keep you in the loop and let you know. Cool. Well, Travis, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. If people want to find out more about yourself and the book, how best do they do that? Um, so uh, the book is actually available on Amazon. Um, you can get it as a paperback, uh, Kindle. It's available on Kindle Unlimited, so all of the Amazon things. Uh, as far as following my uh, writing things, I'm available on uh, Facebook. You'll find me under Will Watson or W.T. Watson. I have an author page on Facebook. Um on Instagram and uh, Twitter, both. Uh, so I'm sure you can find me on on uh, social media. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I'll make sure to put all that info in the show notes. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Travis. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Travis. As I said at the beginning of the interview, I've been wanting to record an episode about phantom black dogs for a long time. So it was great to finally do that and explore the subject in more detail. Definitely get a hold of Travis's book if you enjoyed our chat. As ever, please also consider rating the episode wherever you listen and sharing it on social media as it really helps the podcast to grow and find new listeners. You can follow some other sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and subscribe on all good podcast platforms. You can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at Sphere HQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, be safe and well, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.